message is simply forgiven. I believe at the very foundation of our spiritual life, at the very basis of our spiritual journey, must be a proper understanding of the forgiveness of God. If we miss out on fully understanding the forgiveness of God, then we're not building on a gospel foundation. The most essential and the most blessed and the most difficult thing that God ever did was to provide man with the forgiveness of sin. It is the most essential because it keeps us from an eternal hell and gives us joy even in this life. It is the most blessed because it introduces us into fellowship with God that goes on forever. And it is the most difficult because it costs the Son of God his life on a cross. But the most essential, the most blessed, and the most difficult thing has to be the forgiveness of sin. It is the greatest need on every human heart and all of existence. Sin has an overwhelming effect because it damns men forever. Man's most basic need is the forgiveness of sin. That is where God and man must meet. Without forgiveness, there is no hope. If there is no forgiveness, then we are wasting our time this morning and we need to turn it off and go home. If there is no forgiveness then we can shut the church down and find something else to do. Remember a few years ago, there was a slogan that came out. It was the slogan YOLO. Y'all remember that? Y-O-L-O. And what it stood for was you only live once. And so folks would put it on their, their shirts. And they would put it on bumper stickers. And it was built around this idea that you only get one life, and so you better live it for you. You better go out each day and get yours because once this life is over, there is nothing else. Your life only comes around once. The problem is that's not biblical. That's not what we read in the Word of God. And when we understand forgiveness, when we experience forgiveness from our sins, then we're able to experience abundant life and experience joy that the world could never offer. When we don't experience forgiveness, then we become selfish and we think it's all about me. But when we understand forgiveness, our whole life will change. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to begin and I want you to recognize the problem of sin. Let's begin with that simple word in our text, the word sin. If we confess our sins, sin is the foe that every one of us must deal with. We live in a culture that wishes to skirt around the topic of sin. If we avoid sin, the whole gospel message begins to change. When sin becomes passe, then atonement is unnecessary. And there are churches all around this morning that are filling up the pews, they're filling up the chairs, and they'll go through an entire service and no one will mention the word sin. No one will mention the word blood and no one will mention the word cross. 
It's as if the word sin is a dirty little three-letter word. But when I look in my Bible, I see that sin is found in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. When I look in my Bible, I find that the, the problem we face is sin and the solution is only found in the blood of Jesus. And so if we're going to be a gospel-minded body of believers, we must understand the effects of sin. Romans chapter 3, let me give you just some verses. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It goes on in verse 12, and it says, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. That word worthless, it's implying like sour milk. They are good for nothing. Bible says, no one does good, not even one. Verse 19 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, you have no defense for the sin in your life. It says, in the whole world may be held accountable to God for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want you to understand a few things about sin this morning. Sin disturbs every relationship in the human realm. Sin disturbs every relationship in the human realm. Sin stirs up this cosmic chaos. Every one of us are born into sin. That's why David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. Sin is in the heart of every man. Sin is the virus that has come in and contaminated each one of us. And I want you to realize that every broken marriage comes from sin. Every house that is divided, it comes from sin. Every emotional issue that we experience and we try to navigate through life and it causes turmoil in relationships, it comes from sin. Every disease and illness that we face, it comes from sin. Death that we face around us, it comes from sin. Somebody says, where did the coronavirus come from? Do you know where it came from? It came from sin. Do you remember way back in the garden, there was no disease, there was no sickness, there was no death. All this comes because we live in a sinful and a fallen world. Sin is the cause of the issues that we face. Sin is the common denominator. In the Bible, sin is compared to the venom of a snake. Sin is compared to the stench of death. And tragically, from a human standpoint, listen to me, there is absolutely nothing that we can do about it. We are brought up in this sin and try as we might, there's nothing we can do. That's why Jeremiah said, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. It's hopeless. Not only does it disturb relationships, the Bible says that sin dominates your life. Romans, 12, Romans 1, 21 says, men have a reprobate mind, a mind given over to evil and lust. Sin dominates the mind. Has anybody experienced that in your life? I'm going to raise my hand, but I've experienced it. Thank you, Steve. Okay. Sin dominates the will. Jeremiah 44 says men will to do evil because their will is controlled by sin. 
Sin dominates the emotions. John 3 says they love darkness rather than light. The Bible says the mind, the will, the affections, the emotions are all driven and dominated by sin. Sin brings men under the control of Satan. In Ephesians 2, it says men are guided by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. The Bible says a lot about sin, but I want you to ask yourself the question, have you experienced the domination of sin in your life? Have you seen that? Have you encountered it in your life? Have you had that time in your life where something happens and then you just stand back and you say, what did I just do? How, how did I just get here? I know I should not have done this, but I did it anyway. Maybe you caught yourself in a situation and you've done some things, you've said some things, and it brought destruction to a relationship. And so you stand back and you say, how did this happen? Or maybe you look at your life and there's an addiction Maybe there's an addiction of self where you live for yourself and you don't worry about anybody else. Maybe there's an addiction of alcohol or lust or pornography. Maybe there's addiction. I don't know what it is for any of us, but maybe you look at your life and there's this struggle of sin and you realize that it is destroying your life. It's destroying your relationships. You're not the spouse you need to be. You're not the parent you need to be. You're not the man or the woman of God that you need to be, and you can trace it back to sin. You hate it, but at the same time, if you're honest, you love it. And there's this struggle. See, these are verses that many of us, we don't have to think abstractly about because we've lived them, haven't we? We've lived that struggle with sin to where we, we feel it and we know that it is a, a destroying impact on our life. Sin is the biggest problem that we face. You say, Case, there are so many problems. You're right. We're facing a global pandemic. We're facing political upheaval. We're facing racial disputes. We're facing problems on every corner. But I believe the foundation of every one of these problems comes to sin. And as a church, we must realize this. It must be brought as our basic need. Now, let me, let me go real quickly. I want to show you just a few things about sin in the New Testament. In the New Testament, there are five words, basically, that tell us what sin is. We've got to move real quickly. We're not going to be long. Five words. The one you see most often is the word armartia. And it is simply sin. But what it means is it's an archer's term that means that you line up and you're facing the target and you're trying to shoot the bullseye, but you always miss it a little bit. You understand? You fall short for all have sinned and fallen short. That's the idea. It means that you're trying to do what's right. You're trying to live a life that honors God. You're trying to reach this point, but it seems like you never quite get there. Anybody feel like that at times in your life? Okay, it would be like, here's an example of it. If we all lined up and we came up these steps and I told you, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take turns and we're going to try to jump all the way to Tyler, Texas. I don't know if Tyler's this way. Let's pretend it is, okay? And so we're going to come up this way and we're going to run and we're going to jump and see how close we can get. Now, for some of us out here, you may get 10, 15, 20 feet. Vernon, you might could do that. 
others of us out here, we may get six inches from the line, right? But here's the reality. There's not a single one of us who will get anywhere close to Tyler, Texas. It's just not going to work. It's not going to happen. You cannot do it. What I want you to see is this. When it comes to our spiritual life, we cannot reach it. You say, well, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to jump as far as I can. I'm going to come to church every Sunday. I'm going to give lots of money to the boxes in the back. I'm going to sing in the choir. I'm going to teach a class. I'm going to do all these good things so that I can jump a little bit further. But the reality is you will never make the mark. You will always fall short. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're not good enough. You're not great enough. You're not perfect enough. You cannot reach the standard of God. The next word is the word parabasis. It means transgression. It, it means to step across a line. Have you ever done this? Have you ever been somewhere and you're walking along a sidewalk and then you see that little sign that says, stay off the grass? What do you want to do when you see that sign? <laughs> yeah, y'all are bad just like me, aren't you? Yeah. You read that sign, and the first thing you want to do, getting the spotlight going over here, first thing you want to do is you want to just step your foot over the line, don't you? Isn't that what you want to do? You read that, stay off the grass, and you want to step over it, and you want to get on the grass. That's what he's saying. There's a line. God has put the line down and said, hey, stay right here. Stay behind that podium so they quit doing that. Stay right here. Don't cross the line, right? But we do. We go over the line. The next word is the word anomia. The word namos is law. This means anti-law. It means that you live a life that is a life of total lawlessness. You say, God, I don't want you in my life. I don't care what you want. It's not about you. It's all about me. The next word is the word peripatoma. It means to slip or to fall. You're going through life. You're trying to live. You're trying to do your best. But it just seems like you slip along the way. The last one is the one I really want you to think about. The last one is a word that means that you owe a debt. It sees sin as a debt. It means that you owe God a consequence because of your sin. You have violated his holiness, and because of that, you owe. It's like my kids. When they mess up, I'm going to say, Mason, you do that again, and I'm going to spank you. You owe me because of that. It's an idea that goes in the New Testament. In Revelation chapter 20, we see that great white throne judgment, you remember? And in that, we see the judgment of the ungodly and what is opened. The book is opened. In that book is the record of the debt that they owe. The debt must be paid for the wages of sin is death. And so when we sin, there is a debt that must be paid. All five words sum up what characterize and what classify sin. We owe a debt, a massive debt to God, and there's nothing of our own right that we can do about it. In our Bible, Peter says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. And listen, when we begin to understand what sin is in our life, it should break our heart. I believe that we can gauge and judge our spiritual level based upon the way that we view sin. If we allow sin in our life and we say it's no big deal, doesn't matter what I watch, 
Doesn't matter what movies I go and see, everybody else is doing it. It shows where we value sin. But if we see sin in our life and it is totally disgusting to us, and we begin to see God sin the way that God sees sin, that's when we know we're growing spiritually. So we see the problem of sin. Secondly, I want you to see the provision of sin. If sin is a problem, then forgiveness is the provision. He says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is forgiveness? In the Bible, forgiveness is God passing by our sin. It is God wiping our sin off the record. It is God setting us free from the punishment and the guilt of sin. I want to show you some verses that are foundational to forgiveness. They're found in Micah chapter 7. It says, Who is a guide like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in steadfast love. Remember that. We'll come back to it. He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sin into the depths of the sea. Somebody say amen. Now, it doesn't matter if preaching's bad. That's good right there. Isn't that good? Here's what he's saying. He said, he's going he's gonna to tread on your sin. He's going to walk on your sin. He's going to take your sin and cast it into the depths of the sea. It says in Isaiah that he remembers our sin no more. It says he will blot out our sin. It says he will take our sin and cast them as far as the east is from the west. Oh, how thankful we should be because we can experience the forgiveness of sin. Without forgiveness, there is no hope. Without forgiveness, there is nothing to look forward to after this life. But forgiveness changes everything. Do you want to know the gospel message? The gospel message finds itself in an understanding of the forgiveness of God. Now, there are two types of forgiveness. One is judicial forgiveness. We'll talk about that this morning. The next is parental or relational forgiveness. We'll talk about that this evening. What is judicial forgiveness? Judicial forgiveness views God as a judge. And God looks down and he says, you are guilty. You have broken the law. You're under judgment and you stand condemned. There must be a punishment but that same judge says, on the basis of the death of Christ, he has bore your punishment, he has taken your guilt, he has paid for your sin, the price has been paid, I declare you to be forgiven. And because of this, because of judicial forgiveness, all of your sins, past, present, and future, all of your sins that have been committed, that are being committed, that will be committed, are totally and completely and forever forgiven, and you are justified from all things now and forever. It means that when God looks at me, he does not see my sin, he does not see my evil, he does not see my unrighteousness, but instead he looks upon me and he sees the blood of Jesus and the white robe of righteousness and I can have a relationship with God. It is a beautiful, life-changing picture. 
Let let me show you another picture. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's bad, right? Bad news. You're dead. You have no hope. Bad things are happening. Now watch. Having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against you and nailing it to his cross he took it out of the way here's the picture in this day when a criminal was killed when a criminal was crucified they would write down his sin if they crucified someone who was a murderer they would take a board and they would write murderer on the board and they would nail it to the top of the beam If someone was a thief, they would write thief, and they would nail it to the top of the beam. That way, when anyone would walk by and they would see this crucifixion scene, they would know why the individual was killed. And here in Colossians, what the Bible says is that when Jesus died on the cross, all my sin was ripped out of the book. I've done a lot of sin. All my sins, everything we've done, every lie we've told, every evil thought that's come into our mind, every word we should not have said, every addiction, every lust, all the things that did not honor God for the children of God, they were ripped out one by one by one, and they were nailed to the cross of Jesus. And he died not because he sinned, but he died for my sin and for your sin. My sin was nailed to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we find forgiveness. It's a miracle that we can be forgiven. Let us rejoice greatly in the forgiveness that comes through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen the problem of sin. We've seen the provision of forgiveness. Now let me show you the path over sin. The alternate to denying one's sin is to confess it. John pictures that an authentic believer will have an honest and ongoing acknowledgement of the sin in their life. Confession is not some magical incantation to where we go to God and we say the words right and then magically we are forgiven. Forgiveness comes because of the one that we ask of it. It's like my kids. We're playing a lot of baseball right now. We have a lot of baseball stories. But a few weeks ago, Mason came from practice said, Daddy, uh, coach said that I've been playing third base, but I'm doing really good on first base. And so he asked me if I could get a first base glove. And I said, well, baby, what'd you tell him? I told him that I'd have one by the next practice. <laughs> and I said, Mason, do you have any money? And he said, no, sir, I don't have any money. Mason gets $1, he spends $2. And so I knew Mason did not have any money. But he told his coach he would have it by the next practice. And he knew he would. Do you know why? Because he knows his daddy. He knows that if he has a need, daddy's going to go and daddy's going to find him a good glove and he's going to be set up. It's not based upon what Mason has. It's not based upon the money in Mason's pocket. All Mason knows, if I need this, I know my daddy's going to come through and he's going to get it for me and I can go on with life. Listen, that's how it is with forgiveness. It's not that we got to say it just right. It's not that we've got to earn it through this avenue and this avenue. It's that we depend on God. 
We depend on the character of God. We recognize our sin and we know who he is. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. It's not about us. Sometimes we think that, you know what, if I'm going to be forgiven, then I've got to fix myself up first and then I can go to God and I can find this forgiveness. That's not biblical. 1 John 1, 9, forgiveness comes on God's character. It does not come on my character. And some of us, I think this is where we get messed up. If we're honest, one of the hardest things for us to do in life is to really forgive someone else. When someone has hurt us or someone has done something wrong to us and it, it breaks our heart, it is really difficult to go through that forgiving process, isn't it? And so we look at God that same way and we say, God, I cannot imagine that you would forgive me of so much. But I want you to realize God loves us so much. The steadfast love of God is an attitude that he longs to have a relationship with you. He loves you. He likes you. He wants you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. You don't have to earn it. It's based on his character. It's not based on your character. I think about my children. Again, baseball. We were at baseball all day yesterday playing games, and I was watching my, my boys. In my mind, they'll always be like four years old, but they're out there playing baseball. And I watch Mason as he gets up on that, that little pitcher's mound. And he stands there and, and he goes through his little wind-up and he pitches that ball and he throws it so hard. And I can't help but just stop and think, oh, I love that boy so much. I love him. I mean, just I can sit there and just watch him play baseball and I'm just so proud of him. Then Mattis gets up and he's going to bat. He gets in that batter's box and he's the most spunky little dude you've ever seen. He's little, but he is a fireball. He gets in that box, and he shakes his little booty, you know, and he's getting up there. <laughs> that ball comes so fast, and he just slams it, and I watch him, and I watch him run. I watch him get excited when he makes a good hit, and I'm just thinking, oh, I love that kid. I love him so much. There's nothing I want more than have that relationship with my kids and my wife. I, I want that. That's what God wants out of us. God, God wants that. You messed up, that's okay. He still loves you. He still, he still wants you. He still likes you. He still looks at you and he's proud of you. He doesn't look at you and say, you know what? I would like you, but you're a failure. That's not what God says. God doesn't look at you and say, you know what? I had big plans and you messed it all up, so I'm done with you. I'm going somewhere else. That's not what God does. God looks at you with that admiration and he says, that's mine. That's mine. I love her. I love him. You make me proud. You are special. That's what God does. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's just his character to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the character of God. Some, somebody in here, this is what you think. You think, well, God could forgive a lot of people, but you don't know what I've done in my life. You understand that's total baloney? Total baloney. What that does is that minimizes the power of God. That hinders the love of God. That's all it does. If you think that your sin is more than the love of God, that's crazy talk. That is not biblical. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how big you think your sin is. God is bigger 
His love is greater. It's His will that none perish. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What kind of love is that? Huge love. That's how much He loves you. Forgiveness is not based upon the multitude of your sin. The last thing I want you to see this morning is the position over sin. What's the position? We've seen the problem. We've seen the provision. We've seen the path. Now, what's your position? Back to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's that first word? If. It's a conditional statement. Do you see it? If you do this, then I'm going to do this. If you confess your sins, then I will forgive. But listen, if you don't confess your sins, then you will not find forgiveness. It is a conditional statement. And so as we close, I want you to think in your life, how do you need to respond to the forgiveness of God? There's two ways. First, as we're talking about this morning, is this judicial forgiveness. That moment to where we surrender our life to the Lord Jesus Christ and our sin is wiped away from that moment forevermore. Most important thing you can do in your life, because some of us in here, we've been trying to do really good. We've been trying to jump all the way to Tyler, but we keep falling short. And the Lord is speaking to you saying, you're never going to make it. Trust me, trust my character. Give your life to me. Let me cover your sin. And you need to experience that judicial forgiveness. Say, how do I do it? Well, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. We're talking about salvation. But there's another group in here. And it may be that you look at your life and you know that you've been saved. But if you're honest, there's sin that's creeping up in your life, and it is destroying your relationship with God. We're going to talk about this more tonight. I hope you'll come back. But the Bible says in Isaiah that our sin causes separation between us and God. First John is talking to believers, if you confess your sin, if you want to experience the joy of your salvation, then we must deal with sin. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to pray, and I want you to ask God, Lord, how do I need to respond to your word this morning? How do I need to respond? Really, two questions. Have you ever found forgiveness of your sin? When God looks at you, does he see the blood of Jesus? When God looks at you, does he see that imputed righteousness because you've given your heart and your life to him? If not, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will draw you to salvation. But if you're here and you know that you've been saved, maybe you look at your life and you say, I need to start living a little bit differently. I need to confess my sin. I want to experience the joy of my salvation again. As you pray, think of this scripture. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Take a moment and do that. Search your heart. Search your thought life. 
Is there anything in your life that is grievous to the Spirit of God? And will you allow Him to lead you in the way everlasting? Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for each of these who have come. Lord, I pray you've spoken through your word this morning. And Lord, I pray we're willing and able to do business with you. Lord, I pray if there's one here who needs to be saved, that today is the day, God. I pray you'll draw them to salvation. They won't put it off, God, but they will respond. Lord, I pray for those of us who look at our life and we find sin. Lord, I pray that we'll confess that sin. Maybe an altar, maybe right where we're at on a pew. But God, I pray as a body of believers, we will leave this place clean and pure, rejoicing in your forgiveness. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.